but uh, this is the bit I love the most. Today's message is all about learning to speak up on things that really matter. And in the words of our main character today, if I perish, I perish. We're taking a look at the story of Esther, who indeed was a queen of beauty and courage. Let me give you a bit of the backstory to catch us all up. It's in the video a little bit, but um, the whole story is all about God providing the way back for us ever since the garden. To pull this off, God's strategy is to create a nation from scratch called Israel, to deliver the Messiah or Saviour who will take away our sins and make us fit for life with God. And the Messiah who we know now is called Jesus because he has come, will come specifically through the tribe of Judah within Israel so we've been paying careful attention to their story. As we fast forward, we find because of their repeated disobedience to God's laws and plans, they were exiled to Babylon for a period of 70 years. When the 70 years of discipline from God were up, God opened the door for Judah to come back home to Jerusalem and resume their lives with the express goal of bringing the world the Messiah. The upper story plan of God is on track and back on schedule. And it is interesting to note that not all the Jews returned home. Why? Well, Ezra chapter 1 tells us, Then the family, heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So the group that returned numbered 50,000 people. And the Bible says that God moved in their hearts to go. But it didn't move in the heart of every Jew to return home. And why? Because he has a story to tell with the people left behind. And boy, what a story it is. It is Esther's story. The year is 479 BC, still 479 years until Jesus shows up in the story as a baby. Xerxes is the mighty king of the Medo-Persian Empire. And there's a guy who has risen high in the king's court named Haman, who has it out for the Jews living in his own town. And why? Well, scripture doesn't tell us. But Jewish tradition suggests that Haman is the offspring of King Agag, king of the Amalekites. The Amalekites were one of the nations who were trying to, to keep Israel out of the promised land. And in chapter 10 of the story, we're now in chapter 20, in chapter 10 of the story, God asks Saul to completely wipe out the Amalekite people for their extreme evil like sacrificing their children and for trying to stop Israel from entering the land of Canaan. Saul did wipe out all the people except the king. And now years later, the king's offspring is back at it again, this time with a huge grudge against God's people. 
Haman uses his position to get the king to sign an irrevocable decree to have all the Jews executed on one day. The people throughout the 127 provinces of the empire are given permission to kill a Jewish family and take all of their possessions legally. The date for this uh, horrific event is set for Adar 13 on the Jewish calendar, which, you know, was 11 months away. What Haman doesn't know is that Xerxes' queen is Jewish. She kept this little fact to herself when she became queen because her cousin Mordecai, who raised her, recommended she conceal her heritage. Three months into this decree, with only nine months to go, Mordecai sends word to Esther that she must go before the king and plea for mercy for her people before it is too late. Esther reminds her cousin Mordecai that it is not that simple of a thing to pull off. Look at Esther chapter 4, beginning verse 11. It says, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. See, a queen had to be summoned to go before the king. Even the queen. If she just entered into his presence without being summoned, she could be punished, be stripped of a crown or even executed. Now, there was a, a, a chance he would receive you. If so, he would signify his acceptance of you know, your approach by extending his gold scepter towards you. And for the record, just in case you were wondering, Kay does not have to be summoned to come into my presence. I don't even have a gold scepter. And Mordecai sends this response back to her. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Very poignant words still today. What's he saying? He's saying, Esther... You have not come to this place of immense influence by accident. Could it be that God has placed you here in advance for this very purpose? That's uh, a lot of responsibility on a young lady's shoulders. Heavy stuff. And so Esther has a decision to make. And her response in verse 16 is, Go. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Sometimes going against the law when it's the just and right thing to do is sometimes the better thing to do. 
after three days of fasting, Esther put on her royal robes and she stood in the inner court of the palace. The king was sitting on his throne and he saw Esther. And he held out his golden scepter and Esther approached and touched the tip. And as a result, well, long story short, the Jews were saved. Even to this day, the Jewish people commemorate this event in a celebration called the Feast of Purim. Once again, we see God intervening from the upper story to take what looks like a disaster in the lower story to advance his ultimate theme, the redemption of humanity. So, however brief I have skipped through the story of Esther, there is so many important things that we can still pull out from the example of Esther that really do impact our lives today. And so here are some thoughts that I have. The first of that is that God has placed you in a position of influence. Acts 17.26 tells us that God appointed this exact time in history and this exact place for you to live. He has given you a sphere of influence already. For some of you, he's preparing you for that place and is often preceded by a very difficult season to make you tough and strong and to learn to dig deep into your relationship with Christ. This is what God did with David. His influence was limited to the small flock in his dad's, uh, of his dad's sheep in Bethlehem, but God had in mind for him to be the shepherd king of all Israel. To prepare him, he sent him on the run from King Saul for 14 years to mature him. For some of you, you are still in preparation for your greatest position of influence. Prepare well, my friend. Some of you are students who are about to go back to school tomorrow. And going to school is a much darker thing in this era than it was when I went to school and certainly darker than the era your grandparents went to school. There are Haman's everywhere. Some of you are teachers and administrators. Some of your parents, mums and dads, and you have this unbelievable influence over one or more little human beings that will determine the trajectory of their lives. For some, it's your influence at work. Graham last week mentioned he was a lawyer. But we also have nurses, doctors, builders, managers, physios, accountants, people who work in IT, banking, retail, hospitality, and so many other people working in so many different occupations. Now, I reckon there might be a few Haymans hanging out in our rural city and probably even where you work. For me, I'm in the constant position of asking God, how do you want me to use the influence you have given me? You know, one of the opportunities I was given was to join an, a council advisory group um, in the last couple of years for the purpose of giving a voice. Um, I, took a, I saw it as a purpose of giving a voice of faith uh, to our city and engaging and trying, not, tr trying to help shape the future of our broader community from the values and the, the biblical you know, worldview that I hold. 
trying to influence our, our culture and being involved in things like that there. You know, it's not much, but where we can engage and be a voice for hope, you know, be a voice for the hope of the gospel in our community, we should engage. But there are a few things we need to get right. And I guess they sort of group into two headings. The first is you must know when to keep your mouth shut. That's a new one for some of us, maybe. You know, my mum said this to me, and I'm sure you've heard it too, and it's pretty good advice. Just because you think it doesn't mean you need to say it. We need to learn when it is, when it is appropriate to keep our mouth shut. And here's a few areas. First of all, it is in matters of preference. The Bible teaches that people are weak people when they confuse truth for preference and push their preference on others as though it were truth. A mature, strong person knows the difference. To people who won't listen. A seminary professor was invited to, to debate an atheist. And he asked the man if he was willing to change his position if convinced. And the man said no. So the professor declined the invitation. Whenever I'm talking to someone who is clearly unwilling to listen or change their view, I do what Jesus told me to do. Don't cast pearls before swine. It's, it reminds me of, um, of the, the, the story goes where this, this, this guy was talking to someone. He goes, you know, there's, there, there's, there's a simple rule for life. Don't argue with idiots. And the guy says, oh, I disagree. He goes, okay. <laughs> like, it's pretty simple, really, you know. So, yeah, anyway, know when to keep your mouth shut. When people don't listen, won't listen. But also when you're angry. Speaking up when you're angry in spirit almost always creates a bigger mess than when you started. Those married amongst us, gee, don't we know this? We've lived this so many times. You'd think we'd learn. Some of us might, might have learned. And that's, that's great. Proverbs teaches a soft answer turns away wrath. And parents, and I'm talking to me a lot here too, when we discipline our children when we are angry, it undermines the character of our leadership. I need to learn patience and bite my tongue and tell my children I will talk to them later. Then go and pray, get myself in the right frame of mind for the sake of the child and then approach them. A calm, loving, determined soul unnerves the child and respect hopefully is granted. And another one is do not send email replies straight away, especially if you've been emotionally triggered by anything or disagree with something. You know, I'll often draft the email, write down everything I want to say, right? Big long reply, you know, as we've, I'm sure we've already sent, but I won't send, click send. I'll actually stop, I'll go away, give it a night if I can, then come back and read it again. Can I tell you, when I come back and read it again, oh gee, it sounds so good, but I usually edit and only sit, keep maybe 20% of what I said 
and most of it is the ends and the these and the eyes and the use and the uses and you know like like basically you delete and you start again and send the email you should send right so don't send emails when you're angry that's a very practical one for us I often edit a lot delete most of it and then send the right email also another way to where to keep your mouth shut is is judging someone's motive Jesus said we shouldn't go around judging people. Church people and extremely political left people are often the worst at this. And uh, one of the biggest mistakes people make is pretending you're an expert on the motives behind why a person did what they did. When people did this to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he responded by saying, and I paraphrase, that's interesting that you know the, the motives behind what I do because I'm not completely sure what my motives are. Only the Lord knows for sure and he will one day reveal that to me. <laughs> I heard the story of a guy in an airport waiting room whose kids were being completely obnoxious. But the guy was, completely, was just oblivious about his children's behaviour. When someone said something to him about getting his kids under control... He apologised and said that they were just returning from burying their mother. So the Christian response to someone having difficulty should not be to judge, but rather to seek to understand, to pray for them and to offer help with children. You know, if uh, that was a position I was in, um, I I'm not sure how I'd respond. Would I respond by judging someone or would I respond by, with a heart to help? That's a really good challenge for us, isn't it? And also is when you don't know what you're talking about. You don't want to be the person who, uh, you don't want to be known as the person who thinks they know it all, a legend in your own mind. We're all ignorant in different subjects. You know this, you don't have to have all the answers. That's a pretty radical, pretty radical statement, I think. We don't need to know everything. In fact, it's impossible for us to know everything we are not god and so maybe we all need to give ourselves permission to say you know what i don't know what do you think or at least say i don't know give me some time let me think or research and i'll get back to you we don't always need to know and have the answers straight away so we've all been given a position of influence by god we need to know when to keep our mouth shut. But, but also, like Esther, we need to know when it's time to speak up. Maybe you didn't know this, but we live in a very politically correct society that is becoming more woke by the minute and seeks to cancel voices of dissent from woke ideology. Do you know what I mean by woke ideology? It's a single word summation of what was once extremist left, but is now just leftist political ideology. It's centred on social justice politics, critical race theory and radical gender theory. And truthfully, as a Christian, as a pastor in our society today, I feel that society is trying to silence me. I'm sure you feel like you're trying to be silenced and pushed aside as completely irrelevant in our world today. I feel the world is wanting me muted. And while I don't want to be needlessly offensive 
or try to use legalism to lead people to Christ. That will never work. Some things just have to be said. If I perish, I perish. And there are issues that God invites us to speak upon. He says, defend the weak and fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's Psalm 82, 3 and 4. You know, this passage is teaching that God wants his followers to speak up for those who do not have a voice. And I want to touch on a few topics today which I know are very relevant for our community and things where we should be speaking up. The first is domestic violence. It's a tough topic for many. However, education helps, laws help, counselling helps. But one advocate in this area is quoted as saying this, there is only one universal solution to domestic violence, good neighbours. She said if neighbours knew each other and cared about each other, they would know when domestic violence is happening in the home and should speak up immediately. The statistics on domestic violence are terrible in our community. Violence against anyone, and especially women, is not okay. God wants us to speak up and say something and to defend and deliver those in need from the hand of the wicked. The second is the unborn. Well, I don't want to place any more guilt on people who may have done this. Know the grace of the gospel and the forgiveness available in Christ. However, we must say something about the voiceless unborn, particularly given recent events in the US, which has brought this to the fore. Mothers are the most amazing people on the planet. The depth of their love is great. So when we live in a society where many mothers are no longer protecting the lives of their children, we are in deep trouble. We must speak up. Abortion is not backup birth control. For the overwhelming majority, it is simply murdering an innocent life for the sake of convenience. This is a medical version of the child sacrifice that God saw as abhorrent in the Amalekites and God has not changed. We must speak up and also support mothers and children. And what about refugees? All the hot topics, hey? This one's probably maybe a little bit on the back burner because it's not so, so politically you know, present with us. However, the Bible speaks very clearly on this topic. It was in fact Hebrew law to treat foreigners well and welcome them. Leviticus 19.33 says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. As Christians, we should stand up for humanity, which includes immigrants and refugees and people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, like humanity. We should be standing up for humanity. But very few issues are one-dimensional. God also grants rights and responsibilities to government leaders, as we can see in Romans 13. It is right for them to develop policies and laws for legal immigration and protection of borders. If we undermine this law, where does the lawlessness stop? As a smart Christian, you do not have to support one truth at the expense of another. Both are true and right, 
and these dual truths call for Christians to be sophisticated thinkers. Christians are called to support refugees coming into our country and be active in ministering to them. But Christians also need to comply with the laws regarding immigration and to support the lawmakers looking for appropriate ways to protect our citizens. You know, interesting, next, next week we'll be looking at Nehemiah, whom God called to build a wall around Jerusalem. Christians need to be sophisticated thinkers and rise above political parties and positions and support the whole truth of God at the same time. To balance compassion, biblical truth, need, political biases, personal experiences and our capacity. Domestic violence, abortion, refugees, all of these are such deep and complicated topics for us all to wrestle with, but it is vitally important that we know when to speak up for principles that honour God and to speak against practices that are abhorrent to God. Because the cost of not speaking up is often too great to pay and not always for us, but often for others more than ourselves. You know, when I was in high school, I used to get bullied a bit. I was never popular and... I often had, um, I don't know, a, a tough time. On the bus on the way home from school was one of the worst things. I used to hate it because there was, right from grade seven, there were these two kids who were a grade or two older than me that used to sit behind me no matter where I sat, they'd sit behind me. And at some point, they would grab my ears and just twist them to the point that at times they tore. Um, I don't normally get emotional about this, I don't know why. <coughs> Not because I didn't sleep last night. <laughs> but this would happen a lot. There's one day when I turned around to them and I said, if you do that one more time, I'm going to punch you in the face. I stood up for myself. And they... Um, gave me some lip back. So I just punched the kid in the face. And I don't support violence or anything here. I've just been talking get against violence. But they never did it again. And I teach my kids, I tell my kids that story because you've got to stand up for yourself. And stand for others too. <coughs> I've never been um, slight in stature. I have very thick bones and some fat now to go with it. Um, but when I was at high school, um, as I got a little bit older, I would see, uh, oh, I went to a rough high school. It was an all boys state school on the rough end of town. And um, there was this time where uh, I was probably grade nine, sort of getting to the, you know, and I saw these, these I call, we'd, we'd call them Bojans or Bogans, you know. There was three or four of them picking on this scrawny kid. And so I just went up to him and said, oh, you're real tough, aren't you? Are you three or four kids picking on this one little scrawny kid? 
Like, seriously, I bet you feel you're, you're real men, you know, you're tough like that, aren't you? Oh, yeah, so tough, picking on one scrawny kid, all the three or four of you. And um, I said to them, I said, enjoy it while it lasts, you know. And this is probably a little bit of my youthful exuberance coming out and not something I'd say today. But I, I did say to them, I said, you know what, you're living your best life now. Life's never going to get any better for you than it is today. You're king of the hill, great, good for you. But man, this is the best your life's ever going to get. Because for them, like the reality of the trajectory of their life was not great, even at that point in time. You know, I would have loved if someone had at times been an advocate for me. And we can be advocates for other people. In each of our own contexts, we have the opportunity to speak up and to say something, even if it costs us. When good people do nothing, some of the greatest atrocities in human history have occurred. When good people stand by or allow their voices to be silenced or stand back rather than stand up, when they say nothing or do nothing, <clears throat> instead of speaking the truth and acting upon it, terrible things have occurred. And my heart breaks when we think of some of these things. We live in a nasty world at times. You've experienced it. You've seen it. We've got to do better. And I think of people who have taken a stand and have inspired generations. I think of people who have righted wrongs, who have spoken truth, who have acted on their conscience and changed the world for the better. People like Martin Luther, the great reformers, people like William Wilberforce, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, Helen Keller, Oscar Schindler, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Do you know what names we could add to that list? I'm sure you can think of many names that you could add to that list. But do you know what we could also add each of your names to that list. If you speak up, stand up, and change the world for the better by standing firm for biblical convictions, for what God calls good and right, by speaking up for the weak, the needy and oppressed, by taking action for those who can't take action themselves, by advocating for those without a voice. 
And it isn't just in the massive issues facing our society. It's also in the little things in our lives, in our workplaces, in our families, in our community that affect us and others. Maybe you're supposed to speak out about a toxic work environment or culture in your workplace or community group and help bring change that might make the lives of those you work with so much better. What position of influence has God given you right now? What does he want to say? I say to you what Mordecai said to Esther. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is time for us to take a stand, to stand up, to speak up against the, the things in our world that, Lord, cause so much grief, so much pain, so much heartache, so much loss. Lord, help us have the courage like Esther to speak up to advocate for the voiceless, to step into the void and to take action, Lord, based upon good morals, good ethics, which come from your word. It, the cost is too high to stand by and do nothing. In times of our great stress and pain, Lord, how much would we have loved an advocate to stand up for us? Lord, may we be those people for others. But Lord, might we also know when to shut up, when to hold our tongue, when to take a breath, and to, to calmly approach something when our emotions are high. Lord, give us your wisdom to know when these things are the right things to be quiet on and silent on and when the things are right to, be, to speak up and be loud about. We've named a few tough topics today. But Lord, I pray each one of us would be a voice of hope and compassion above all in our community. That we would take a stand against things that you call abhorrent and we would speak up for grace, for compassion, for mercy. And that Lord, we would help the world be a better place we might not be able to change the entire structures of our community and society, Lord, but we can make the world a better place for one person. Lord, give us the courage to stand up and to speak up 
Lord Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Lord, maybe we need to be prepared to make similar sacrifices sometimes. If it blows back on me, it blows back on me. If I get the sack, I get the sack. I don't know what's, what, what we can do, Lord. But Lord, reveal that to us and help us have that imperative within us to stand up for those who need it. And also, Lord, to stand up for ourselves, to have the courage like Esther. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you uh, stand with us as we sing, Your Grace is Enough.